Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be with you here after our Thanksgiving week that just passed. Uh, I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Um, I know it can be up sometimes and down sometimes because you're with family, so that's how family works, right? Um, We had a great Thanksgiving this particular year. It was really, really fun. Uh, My sisters and their husbands and my parents and myself and Brooke, my wife, and all our kids got together at one of my sister's houses uh, here in the um, uh, West Orlando area. And so there were 14 kids and uh, eight adults, and uh, we had a great Thanksgiving meal together and and got to kind of spend the time together as an extended family. And, And one of the things that my sister did hosting it at her house is that she took these little bags and she put five kernels of of corn into each bag and then put a bag at each placemat for all of the grandkids uh, and uh, all of the adults. Um, And so uh, we kind of sat around and then at a certain point my dad shared the story of the five kernels of of corn. And so what happened is uh, a number of years ago when um, we moved from South Africa to the United States of America, I was 17 years old. My dad became the military ambassador to the U.S. And so uh, we moved our family over here. Uh, and, And that very first year, my dad went to his very first Thanksgiving meal here in the United States because uh, we don't celebrate that in South Africa. And um, at that meal, uh, in, the, in the world of, of uh, diplomacy, uh, they shared the story of the five kernels of corn, uh, corn that uh, in the original pilgrims during the first hard winter, uh, they had to ration what they had and they, they had to live on five kernels of corn a day for a period of time to survive those first harsh times and, and that God provided just that for them to be able to survive. A couple of years later when my parents were making the decision to return to South Africa or to immigrate to the United States, it was a very big decision for them because staying here would mean the loss of really the entire life that they'd built there in South Africa. And my dad gathered uh, my two sisters, myself and my mom around a table. He took out that little bag of five kernels of corn, he put on the table and he said, uh, we're going to make a decision to to stay here and as long as God gives us more than these five kernels of corn every day, then we have enough to be grateful for. And so that's kind of how our journey began. So it's a super, super cool story. And and we got to kind of revisit that because that's what you do at Thanksgiving, isn't it? that you kind of sit and you revisit the past and you look at what God has done and what God has provided and you look at what God is doing and you you give thanks for that. But sitting in that space, you also, surrounded by 14 kids, you don't just think about the past and all that God has provided, uh, you think also about the future and all that God is going to do, right? And so you wonder what these 14 kids are gonna experience as they walk into our future, in this nation, having grown up here now and having this be their home, and what it's going to mean that they call this great nation theirs, considering that we made the great jump to immigrate to this place. And as I was thinking about that future of theirs, I was reflecting also on the recent couple of months that we got to spend watching this election unfold, and a thought came to mind as I thought about my children's future. There was two bumper stickers I saw over the last few months. I actually put them both on Facebook because I thought they were that hilarious. The first said, Meteorite 2016, and I was like, that's funny. That's funny. Vote for a Meteorite 2016, and the other bumper sticker two weeks later I saw that I just thought was hilarious. It had two words on it very simply. It just said, we're doomed. 
And I was like, I got to get a picture of that. That's so awesome. Because that was in the midst of the great dynamic between our candidates and all the debates going on. It's like, we're doomed. I think many people felt that way. And though those two things are not true, they were certainly super funny. And so I was thinking and reflecting as we were looking into the future um, this Thanksgiving and, and asking myself, man, th- this, this is a weird Thanksgiving space again because it's election year, so that obviously comes around every four years. But also this election has been particularly uh, difficult and it has shaken things to our core in a way that I, at least in my lifetime, have not experienced. And, and so it kind of taints to a certain extent uh, what we walk into as we don't just reflect on our past, but as we look into our future. And I thought about how that affects us, how that affects me, how that affects our movement from here. Because I will tell you, I think what made this election so, so difficult and why it lingers with us different than other elections is because we were dealing with some complications we've never had to deal with at this level before. Let me explain. In the past, uh, you may affiliate yourself with a particular party, uh, and then you have a candidate, and then there's the other party, and they have a candidate, and then you vote for your candidate, and they vote for their candidate, and then one of them wins, right? And for the first three or four days after the election, if your candidate won and your party won, you're excited, and if they didn't, you're bummed, and then two or three days later, you get on with regular life, and all is in the past, right? But this election, it hasn't been three or four days, has it? It's kind of lingered on why. Because regardless of who you are, uh, in terms of your affiliation to whatever party or candidate, uh, to your political views, uh, or to where you stand in life in general, if you follow Jesus, then you have to admit that you had to be appalled at the lack of character that existed in our candidates. I mean, you can't get around that. It doesn't matter. I'm not talking politics now. I'm talking about you had to be appalled at the way that Trump treats people with his words and with his actions. You, you had to be. You had to look at that and go, that's appalling. I mean, that just, that's just not right. And you had to be appalled at the way that Hillary utilizes leadership and uses people to elevate herself and to make her life what she wants it to be. And you look at these two people who are supposed to come and serve the people. Isn't that what we say, right? Uh, we elect our officials to do what? To serve the people, and neither of them had a bone in their body that looked like anything that had anything to do with serving anyone, right? So were you not appalled? I was appalled. And so as I look at these two candidates and the character that they lack and their, their self-centeredness and the, the lack of any sense that they are actually about us and not about themselves, it made this election very difficult because you're going in now and you have the complications of all the normal political realities and the issues on the table and who you're going to stand and what issues matter more than other issues and who you should therefore vote for. But you also had a conscience crisis if you follow Jesus. You, you looked at candidates and said, can I put my name, have my children know in the future I put my name next to a person like that as they displayed themselves. If you didn't have a conscience crisis, then you weren't thinking as a Christ follower as you ought. I know that's hard to hear, but I didn't, I didn't say what you did. I'm just saying there had to be at least at a moment a conscience crisis. Then you had to work through that conscience crisis and make a decision. 
Some of you made the decision to vote for Trump. Some of you made the decision to vote for Hillary. Some of you made the decision to vote for somebody else. Some of you made the decision not to vote at all for any presidential candidate. And some of you made the decision to stay home. We all made different decisions once we wrestled through our conscience crisis, but we should have all had a conscience crisis because this one was very difficult. And then once you made your decision and went and laid in your bathtub in the fetal position and wept, (laughs) then we need to figure out how to move past this in the context in which we live because we are in many ways uh, left confused, we are left afraid, and we are left divided. We are left confused, afraid, and divided. And we are sometimes good at just taking all those feelings and stuffing them under a rug and going, let's pretend it's not true. But the truth is, that's what we wrestle with. And within our context, as I've listened to the landscape, as I've listened to some of you, as I've watched social media and the insanity that has ensued on social media, not just between the world that does not know Jesus, but also the world that does. And I have watched the statements made about how could anyone ever do this or do that. I have realized that there is volatility that is affecting division among the body of Christ in significant ways because of what has occurred, because it was a conscience crisis on this one. And so this Thanksgiving, I asked myself, us as a teaching team asked ourselves, where do we go from here? We have Thanksgiving on the table. We're grateful for the country we live in. We're grateful for the future. We're grateful for what God's doing. But we also are affected by the circumstances in our midst that are confusing, that are uh, fearful, and that are dividing. How do we move into them? How do we move through them? How do we move past them in a biblical, godly manner? And the best thing to do when you want to move through circumstances in our cultural context or on our globe is first and foremost to go and find out what God has to say about who we are, about who he is, and about how we live, right? Because that is always the place we go and examine. What does the gospel of Jesus Christ reveal to us about who he is, about who we are, and about how we are to live in order for us to figure out how we navigate the insanity in which we sometimes live on this planet? And so we do that. And so as I began to think, okay, what does the Bible say about who we are and about who he is and about how we navigate life, there are certain passages that are what I call blanket passages. They are general enough that they blanket any circumstance. You with me? They kind of say, in any circumstance, this is always true of you and always true of God and always true of how you ought to live. And so you can apply it to anything. And I go to those first because they're a good starting point because you don't have to navigate all the intricacies of, is this applying to that circumstance or that one? So the things I've tended to memorize over my lifetime are the blanket passages that I can just, any circumstance, see, here's the truth. One of those is found in the beautiful letter that we are currently journeying through, the letter of Romans. It's one of my go-tos. I land here over and over and over again on a daily basis because it measures how we live. Romans chapter 12, right? So 
Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul is unpacking the beauty of the intricacies and the, com- and the complexities and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of who we once were, of who we have been made in Christ, of the peace we have with God now, of the high price that he paid for us to have that peace, of the extraordinary realities of his wonder and sovereignty uh, in our lives. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, therefore, right, in view of all this that I've unpacked for, 12, uh, for 11 chapters, in view of God's mercy, then he says this, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship, right? So what is our spiritual act of worship? What is our worship to God? It is bringing our whole self to him without exception to say, here I am in view of what you've done for me. I'm not bringing you a part of myself. I'm not bringing you some of my stuff. I'm not bringing you a bit of my time. I'm not giving you a devotional space. I'm saying, here's all my stuff. Here's all my time. Here's all of my talent. Here's all of who I am. Here's all my dreams. Here's all my hopes. Here's everything I've ever wanted in life. They are on the table for you to utilize as you see fit for what you want. That's what it says. Come to him. Present yourself wholeheartedly without exception. Then it says this, right? Present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Then it unpacks it. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It says, listen, the, 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 act, the action that comes with here I am, God, is this, that you learn what this planet says and you learn what God says and wherever they oppose each other, you stop conforming to how this planet functions and you start conforming to the way God functions and his kingdom. And as you continue to do that, this is your active worship presenting yourself to God. And then as you continue to do that, he lays out in the rest of chapter 12 the implications to that. He says this, as you do that, here's what you should know. First of all, about each other. You belong to each other, you Christ followers. Once you know Jesus, you belong to each other. You are part of a body, and the body functions as a single unit. And if anyone in the body is disruptive to the body, it affects the whole body negatively. If anyone is absent from the body, it affects the whole body negatively. If anyone is not functioning as they ought, the whole body suffers. Have you ever had this? You pull some little dinky muscle on the back of your leg. It's so small, it's not even funny. Or maybe right here in your back, you know that? one that sits right here and you're like, ah, okay. And then what happens? The first day, there's a very small spot that hurts. It's right there. But by day three, how do you feel? Everything hurts, right? You're like, this leg is in pain now and it shoots up my back and I have this headache that's killing me. And then I slump my shoulders so my shoulders are tight. And I and you go, you, you walk in like, oh my gosh, it's all falling apart. And then the doctor goes, oh, you, you pulled that little dinky thing in your back. And then what you started doing is since that wasn't working, you compensated without realizing it, which put strain on these muscles. And when they started hurting, they compensated and conked out on you. And so your legs started coming. And now you're like, and then you got a headache because it was shooting this muscle up and then the headache caused you to slump and your shoulders went, and then your arm went dead and started tingling you're not dying your little muscle just isn't doing what it's supposed to and you're like how do I recover and you're like well stop compensating start pushing through and eventually it'll all go away and you're like really that little thing did all that 
Yep. And then Jesus says, you know what you are, right? You are a body. And when one of you doesn't function in unity with the rest, everything is disrupted. Everything is complicated. So, make sure you're together in this. And then from verse 9 to verse 21 in Romans chapter 12, he says, now, when you are presenting yourself in view of God's mercy, that's what's measuring how you feel about life, and you are living out as a unified body, doing what you're called to as a singular force in the world, then you start living out the gospel, and here's what that looks like. Let your love be sincere, right? Abhor evil. Seek what is good. Outdo one another in honoring each other. As much as it's up to you, live peaceably with each other. This is the section where it says, your enemies, when they're hungry, feed them. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Love them, care for them. It'd be hospitable toward each other. It's this incredible list of here's life, here's life. And this is what we're called to. This is who we are. This is how we function because of the nature of the gospel. You know, when, when, when uh, Paul was writing uh, to the church in Galatia, uh, he was writing into a church at that time that was very factioned, okay? Now, their factions were different than ours. Our factions here tend to find themselves in economy, and they tend to find themselves in ethnicity, and they tend to find themselves in politics, right? That's why those are things we generally don't talk about, right? We do here, but uh, most people don't. Uh, and so uh, when, when we step into those spaces, uh, they separate us because we have, we have gravitated toward them. During Paul's time, you had the Jews, and you had the Greeks, and you had the free men and the slaves, and you had the men and the women. And in life, all of these factions, they were in a hierarchy, and they functioned. And then what happened is Paul plants these churches, and he says, come Jews and Gentiles, come free men and slaves, come men and women, come together. And so you're all together now, but you don't know how to act toward each other, because out there, uh, you had definite spaces that you could do certain things or not do certain things, depending on who you were, right? And so your identity was wrapped into whether you were free or a slave, whether you were man or woman, whether you were Greek or Jew, whether you were wealthy or poor, whether all those different things were tied in. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, Paul is writing into that environment and listen to what he says about how we function despite the realities of this world. Verse 27 of Galatians chapter 3. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Oh, watch, listen. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we belong to Christ, and that identifies us now and transcends any other version of belonging. I am Republican. I am Democrat. I am Independent. I am fill in the blank. Those are relevancies, but not relevant at all to identity in Christ because we are Christ. I am American. Good. I'm glad. That's a good thing. But it is, it is subservient always to I know Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And therefore, the we is my brothers and sisters are people that know and belong to Jesus. Because when you belong to Jesus, you belong to him, he belongs to you, you belong to everyone who belongs to him, and they all belong to you. We belong to each other. So we submit to each other and serve each other because that's how we were designed to function. 
You know, when Jesus was on this planet, at the very last supper that he had with his guys, he's about to be betrayed that very early morning, right? And he's sitting with them, and that's where he washes their feet, and he goes through all the awesome talks about all the different things. And, and one of the things he does is toward the very end, he prays for his disciples. So you know how this rolls, right? It's, it's, it's time to go now. Gather up, boys. I'm going to pray for you, and this is your leader. And we happen to now know he was the God of the universe, right? So God prays for his disciples. And at a certain point in the prayer, he says, now I'm not only praying for those in this room, but I'm going to pray for everyone that will ever follow me. And who is that? That's us. Okay. Us. Now listen to this. In John chapter 17, listen to what Jesus prays. This is so crazy. Look at this. John chapter 17, verse 20, page 1001, in case you're interested. John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, that's the people in the room, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. He's given his glory to us so that, fill in the blank, here we go, okay? They can storm the gates of hell. They can change the world. They can undo poverty. That, no, so that they can be one as we are one. Now look, look why he did that. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Wow. So Jesus prays for us, and this is what he prays, that as we enter into our future, that there would be a unity that transcends anything this planet has ever seen among us because we know who we belong to. Do you know that the Protestant church, which is what we would kind of lump ourselves in with, right? The word Protestant literally means to protest. So that's how we started, right? We protested a church and then became another one. And look, don't get me wrong. There are big, complicated reasons why these things happen. When somebody doesn't believe in the Bible or the gospel anymore, it needs some protesting, but it's complicated, right? And then the Protestant church, wait for it, super, super fun. Globally now, they say that there's between 1,500 and 3,000 denominations within the Protestant church. That's little factions that went, uh, you and me are the same, but not really. So I'm going to go do it my way over here, and you go do it your way over here. Division has become our first resort, not our last resort. It's what we do instantly when we disagree, and that's the church as a whole. But then division exists even within the midst of any one local expression because this world constantly points to our differences, right? And we experience our differences because they're what tend to clash. You don't generally go, oh, you voted for that candidate? Totally different than me? Oh, let's be friends, right? It's generally like, whoa, there's a difference here, and so we clash, so God says, here's what I pray for, that they would function as one because when they are one in a world that is never one, they will know who I am. Why? Because the one word that probably describes all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, if you had to boil it down to a single word in terms of the action of the Bible, the action of God, it's this, reconciliation, right? That's all that God has been doing from day one. 
is reconciling everything to everything. Reconciling everything to himself. Reconciling himself to everything and reconciling everything to everything. That's what he says in Revelation. I will make all things new and everything will be reconciled. Everything. The lion will sleep with the lamb, right? And so this is what it is. Reconciliation, unifying, is the defining factor of redemption realized. And so when you look at the church, what ought you to see? Unity. Because that displays the redemptive reality of Christ. In John uh, chapter 13, same supper, same hangout space. That's where he said, a new command I give to you. That you would love one another as I have loved you. And by this, they will know that you follow me. Right? So what do we have to do, folks? Let me tell you, division is not an option on the table for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Division is never an option. It can't be. Disagreement is an option. We can disagree. Uh, Working through disagreement is an option. Getting a bit frustrated during the disagreement is an option. In fact, if you don't ever get frustrated at the disagreement, then you're not thinking, right? Getting a little heated, that's okay. But dividing is never an option. Our unity is never in the spaces that we agree and disagree outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we disagree on that, well then we're not the body of Christ anymore, right? So if as long as you belong to Jesus and you agree on the realities of the gospel, everything else is secondary. So coming into an election like this, it's rough because this one tied to conscience. And when things tie to conscience, we start feeling very strongly about things, right? Because their conscience, which is practically sinful or not sinful, right? If I have an issue, I'm like, God in good conscience told me I couldn't do that. I quickly project that onto everyone on planet earth, right? Since I can't do it, anyone who does is sinful. And that's not always true. In fact, it's often not if it's just a conscience issue. So here's the problem. We come into this election and we say things like this. I don't understand how anyone that knows Jesus could have voted for fill in the blank candidate or could have not voted for fill in the blank candidate, right? So how do we effectively navigate unity in a space that tends to divide, create fear and leave us confused? Well, first we have to identify what is dividing us, okay? So let's begin here. I think that from what I've seen, there are primary things we need to land on that we understand are going to divide us if we're not careful. Here's the first, okay? That for many of you, perhaps all of you, if you know Jesus, this election dealt with conscience as much as politics, right? We've established that. And when things deal with conscience, it's much easier to find it difficult to understand how somebody else who knows Jesus could have done something differently than what your conscience told you was right, right? So I've heard people say, rightly, I don't know how I feel about sitting in a room with people that voted for that candidate and call themselves Christians. That's a big thing to say. And you say it because I get it. Your conscience didn't allow you to. And your conscience is tied to the Spirit's work in you. So let me share this. We have got to transcend that and stop being judgmental in spaces that aren't sinful. Okay? If someone's living in sin, it is your responsibility in gentleness to go and tell them you're being foolish. We need to divert. But don't allow your conscience to determine what is sin and not sin. That's what this thing does right here by the Holy Spirit. Right? Your conscience is what the Spirit is asking of you. 
And all of us simultaneously came into this election. We looked at two candidates we were appalled by in terms of character. And then we had to start with a conscience there and wrestle through what is the best move to make. For some, they determined because of the politics that comes with the candidates that voting for this candidate was going to be the best move because it would, though it goes against some conscience on character, somebody's got to lead it and they're going to do these things with those issues that are going to be important. For some, they determined this particular candidate, the issues that I care about because when I was growing up, they became a big deal to me. This candidate, though I am appalled by both, will probably affect those issues in the way that will be most helpful. So I'm going to go through the process and then go lay in the fetal position, okay? But I'm going to go ahead and vote because that matters. Some said, in good conscience, I can't put my name next to either candidate because none of them, I can say, I, I said yes to that. And you made that decision. In this room alone, some of you made this decision for this candidate, some of you made this decision for this candidate, some of you made this decision for neither candidate. If you approach this with conscience, you wrestled with the Spirit of God, you read up on some stuff and you made a decision, then you stepped into this wisely, best you could. We need to give each other that benefit of the doubt. We need to stop saying, how could you? In fact, do you know what the beauty of disagreement can be in a unified space where Christ unifies everyone? It's this, I come to you and I can say in a unified space, so I voted for candidate A, I voted say for Trump and you voted for Hillary. Okay, let's say that happened. We come together and go, okay, I would love to know how you processed landing on Hillary. Well, I would love to know how you processed landing on Trump. Then you talk it through, well, I wrestled with this, and then I saw that, but then these issues over here, this, and then that, that was, and then you go, yep, well, I, I did this, and then these issues, and you know what we do? We learn, because you know what? This isn't the last time this is gonna happen. You think this is the last time you're gonna wrestle with a, a conscience between trying to figure out two candidates to lead our country? Oh boy, I hope you live short. Because it's going to come again and again in different environments. And instead of standing apart in Christ, we stand together and we learn from each other's wrestle. You wrestled through it. You landed differently. That's not sinful. If you voted for Hillary, that was not sinful. If you voted for Trump, that was not sinful. If you voted for neither, that was not sinful. And if you voted for all of them, that was not sinful. Okay? But it is sinful when we take our conscience and we project it onto other people and we judge them in spaces that the Bible does not. And so we've got to be careful with that. And we've got to start saying, we are in this together. We're going to walk through this together. Unity matters a great deal. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Second of all, we have to recognize that we are fearful because we had two candidates that didn't seem to have the character to make decisions that would be best for the world and best for the people, but would be best for them. And when they make those decisions, they seemed erratic enough that they might make some big ones like pushing a red button and blowing up the entire planet, right? And so you're like, oh. So good news on that, by the way. We have a very complex government with tons of bureaucracy. And though that's super frustrating most of the time, it's also a saving grace when you have unpredictability within the government system, right? So it's, the red button's probably safe. And if it's not, then we're all redeemed. So it's going to be awesome. We're going to know Jesus sooner than later. So it's a win-win for us, baby. So here's the deal. But that aside, here's the big deal, okay? Hear me now. This is not cliche. This is real. Our hope has never been 
is not now and will never be in a human leader. It has never been, it is not now, and it will never be in a human leader, period. That will never change. Our hope is in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who reigns over all of the universe, including every leader, and leaders come like the plants and wither under the sun as they fade in and out of history, and God will not have His plans thwarted by any human. Period. So our hope is not in a human leader ever. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to minimize our involvement in politics because if we have a great leader, does it make a difference from having a terrible leader? If you have a great king versus a terrible king, does it make a difference? Yes. If you have a leader that is godly versus one that is not, does it make a difference? Yes. So should you and I uh, engage in our cities and our nation to become people of influence and leadership so that we might bring a godly character to our cities and our nation? Absolutely. Should we vote for people that have godly character? Absolutely. Should we make sure we're actively involved in trying to make sure our government is filled with leaders that have godly character? Absolutely. Should we pray for those who don't that God would transform them into leaders with godly character? Absolutely. But in the end, should we ever, ever, ever place our hope in our government, in our leaders? No, because if we do, it gets way too personal and it's misplaced and you're going to start feeling and thinking things you ought not to. You will be far more afraid than you ought to be or far more confident than you ought to be. If you are super excited that a particular leader got in, you're probably overly hopeful in leaders. And if you're super afraid that a particular leader got in, you're probably overly connected to your hope being in a leader. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone, and it will always be, and that's where it must stay. And I am so grateful this Thanksgiving that I could sit in the midst of a space where the political environment is more tumultuous than I've ever seen it in my lifetime and feel no fear because I could allow it to measure my heart and remind me that regardless of who leads this country or this world, that they do not lead because the one that leads is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in fact, ironically, the more tumultuous it gets here on planet Earth, the better it is for our hearts to be reminded that our hope is not in men or women, but in Christ. We must remember that we have a great hope that God will finish every work He began, that God will bring to completion everything he started, that he will make all things new and all things right, that he will affect justice on all things, that sin will be destroyed in good time, and in the meantime, he is redeeming the world through us who are his church. Remember this. I think it was Jesus who said this. I don't think so. I know. I'm being sarcastic. On this rock... I will build a governmental system with fantastic leaders and the gates of hell will not prevail against that government. It will be called America. <laughs> nope. No, I didn't say that. What did he say? On this rock, this gospel, this truth of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her as she lives out in unity the mission that I have sent her to live out because the church is full of God and when God moves, everything moves out of the way. And that's who we are.
And that's what we're called to. Our hope is in Christ and our hope is in Christ in us. Through the Spirit of God, our hope is in the church that is the people filled with the Spirit moving into a dark world to redeem that world from a mess. Governments help the process. Governments hurt the process. Doesn't matter. What matters is that we are the church and we are empowered to go and change the world. So our hope is not in government, which leaves me with the last and final thought if we're going to do this together. Since we are the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because the church is full of God and nothing prevails against God, then we know that today our mission remains exactly the same as it did before the election, before the candidates were picked, before the last election and many before that. And our mission will remain the same in the ongoing months and years to come, regardless of who steps into whatever and who votes for whoever and who comes to power in whatever scenario. Your mission and mine remains exactly the same. And what is our mission? Second Corinthians chapter 5. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are new in Christ. And God is reconciling the world to himself and he has made you ministers of reconciliation. There's our mission. We go out into our workplaces. We go out into our schools. We go out into our social networks. We go out into our neighborhoods. We go out into our cities. We go out into our globe. And we find ways to undo injustice, to undo mess, to reconcile people to people, people to God, and us to people, and each other to each other. Because that's the great work of God. We take freedom into the world. We, we, we engage in the darkness. And whether that's in the political arena or the business arena or the social arena or the city arena or the local arena or the global arena is not relevant. What's relevant is that you're doing it in all the arenas because Romans chapter 12 says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your worship. And this is what we do. This is what we go do. And when we do that, then time will come and go. Leaders will rise and fall. And the church will keep moving forward by the power of God changing the world. Sometimes the government will help. Sometimes it won't. And when the church is doing her thing, sometimes godly leaders will enter our system and sometimes they won't. We vote hard. We fight hard. We argue hard. But we never divide. We never divide. Because we are not Americans first, Democrats or Republicans first. We are not poor or rich first. We are not male or female first. We are not this ethnicity or that ethnicity first. We are baptized in Christ first. And we are unified by that and the mission he's called us. So, while fear and division is wreaking havoc on our nation and even within the body of Christ, we press in toward unity and mission so that we are not undone by the things of this world, but so that we demonstrate the beauty of the gospel in the midst of them. Welcome to the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that our hope is in you, that our unity is in you, that our mission is clear, and that the circumstances of this world, though they are frustrating at times and beautiful at times, though they are difficult at times and easy at times, that they are not where we find our hope and stay. They are not where we find relief. They are not where we find saving. They are not what empowers us. But you are. 
So would you lead us in the midst of an environment with a lot of craziness going on? Lead us into the social media spaces. Lead us into our workspaces. Lead us into our school spaces, into our social networks and our neighborhoods, and give us voices within those spaces of gentleness, of unity, of truth, and allow us not to be foolish in the things we say and do in the midst of this election where we judge one another within the body of Christ in manners that are not worthy of the gospel. God, in good conscience, you know the decision I made and you know the decision each one in this room made. In good conscience, we wrestled with this one. In good conscience, we asked you for guidance. And we landed in different spaces. Some of us landed rightly and some of us landed wrongly and I'm not sure which ones it is yet. I just know that we're all trying to follow you, God. And if we're doing that, would you remind us to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to learn from our differences, not to engage in division because of them, and to unite under the banner of Christ and the mission of God. May we show this government by praying for them, by serving them, by giving them water when they're thirsty and food when they're hungry, by coming alongside them, May we show this government that the church was given to this planet to be redemptive, not to be argumentative and crazy. And may we become an asset to our government, whether in these four years or the ones to come or the ones after that. Teach us to pray again for our leaders. Teach us to follow them well, not because they're worthy of following, but because you asked us to follow them because we demonstrate trust in you. Help us not to be afraid, not to be confused, and not to be divided. But help us to be confident with clarity on our mission and who you are and who we are, and unity within that great banner. And to run hard for the redemption of this world, to reconcile all things back to you and to one another. We love you, Jesus. Amen.